As a priest, when I hear this gospel passage, I initially think of two things. The first is some unsolicited advice from a priest to future brides. Ten bridesmaids is too many. (laughs) I did a wedding here with 12, and I think half of them were either going down the exit or bending into the chapel. Too many. Make decisions. It was also a reminder of a wedding I did where the groom was 15 minutes late. That was a long 15 minutes. (laughs) But we knew he was coming. So now imagine a wedding where the groom is 2,000 years late. That is the context in which the passage today is set for us. In the parable of the bridesmaids, the difference between the wise bridesmaids and the foolish is really one thing, and that is that the wise were prepared to wait for the bridegroom, and the foolish were not. In the traditional interpretation of this passage as an allegory, the bridesmaids represent Christians. They represent us. And the oil represents faith and Christian hope. So the core message of the passage is that the wise and faithful Christian is one whose faith is strong who is prepared for the future because they live with hope for the kingdom today. If you were here last Sunday when the Reverend uh, Nadim Nasser, a Syrian Anglican priest, spoke very powerfully and eloquently uh, about the gospel and about the persecution of Christians in Syria, And in the midst of all those atrocities, he said it was important for us to remember that the kingdom of heaven is not a future reward for Christians. The kingdom of heaven is now. We work for the kingdom of heaven now. Not just try to store up some reward we'll cash in later. In my household... Uh, about two weeks ago, we somewhat spontaneously uh, adopted a puppy. <laughs> Some, uh, my son's friend was fostering this puppy, and he showed up at the door with it, and, and now it's our puppy. <laughs> it's a, uh, a little chihuahua pug mix. Someone called it a pugwawa. <laughs> named Ruby. Have any of you raised a puppy? Any of you guys? Is it work? Yeah, it's work, right? Raising a puppy is work. 
Our faith is like a puppy. Our faith is like a puppy. It has to be constantly nurtured so that it will be healthy now and so it will grow into the companion you want it to be. You can't just feed and train a puppy when it's convenient for you. And so it is with our faith. And what happens to your house if you don't take your puppy outside when it needs to go? (laughs) I like the visual there. Thank you. (laughs) Our faith becomes a mess if we only call on it when we want it. And I have to say, when little Ruby curls up on my lap to take a nap or just to be held or licks my chin, it is the greatest feeling. And I feel like whatever I'm stressing out about just sort of fades away for a little bit. And when we nurture our spirituality, it nurtures us back. Right? When we attend to our spiritual life, it nurtures us back, just like with a puppy. Although I have to say, if, if, uh, if faith is like a puppy, then we had a crisis of faith yesterday when uh, Ruby managed to get loose of her harness somehow, and I spent three blocks chasing her as she dodged in and out of traffic on Sir Francis Drake Boulevard. That was not fun, but uh, a spiritual exercise in some way, I'm sure. (laughs) Our faith can also be like earthquake preparedness. It's pretty hard to prepare for an earthquake while the earthquake is happening, right? If you're like, you know what, it's not happening. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do earthquake preparedness next week. And then the earthquake hits and you're trying to prepare for the earthquake. Well, it happens. That's a little too late, right? The wise bridemaids were prepared for the unexpected. It's hard for our faith to sustain us if we only turn to God in moments of crisis. If we don't attend to our life of faith and our spirituality until the earthquake hits, it's hard for that relationship to be on the solid ground that we need it to be. This passage encourages us to strengthen our spiritual lives. And yet, and yet, there is something very unsatisfying about this parable. I have to say that here at St. John's, we are in the middle of our 2015 annual fund campaign where we're encouraging all of you to make financial commitments to St. John's for next year. So it's a bit of a bummer to have a gospel passage that seems to commend those who would not share their resources with those in need. 
When I read that part about the bridesmaids saying, no, there won't be enough for you and for us. You need to go get some. That unwillingness to share. It reminds me of an experience I had in high school. My best friend in high school was named JB. And uh, one year, I'm pretty sure it was our senior year, we were hanging out at uh, the mall. And something happened with JB's watch, something on the strap, or maybe it needed a new battery. And we went to this shop that could fix his watch. And it turned out he didn't have enough money. So JB asked me if he could borrow some money. Now, I had $10 on me uh, that was for my brother. My dad had given me $10 that I was supposed to give my brother. So I was just the courier. So I told JB, I'm sorry, I don't have any money I can lend you to get your watch fixed. Well, about 20 minutes later, we're uh, browsing through a record store. (laughs) And I come upon an album I've really been wanting to find. And what do I do? I take my brother's $10 and I buy that album for myself. Several months later, talking to JB one night, he shared with me how hurt he was that his best friend would not lend him money to get his watch fixed, but instead used money that wasn't even mine to buy myself something I wanted. This happened in high school. I'm 46 now. I still carry shame about that story. And even more so because very sadly, my dear friend JB died two years later in a drunk driving crash. So somehow the sting of that is still there because I feel like it was unresolved. And so I remember that when I hear these wise bridesmaids with their extra flasks of oil who say there isn't enough for you, only for us. Jesus tells us to let our light shine so that others can see it. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. This means that faith and spirituality must be combined with good works. The parable of the ten bridesmaids isn't consistent with the other teachings we hear from Jesus. If we are following the teachings of Jesus, why didn't the wise bridesmaids tell the foolish bridesmaids to bring more oil with them when they all first set out? Why didn't they share their light with those who were in darkness? Why didn't they plead with the bridegroom to let the foolish bridesmaids into the banquet, saying, we sent them to get more oil from the merchants. They didn't have enough. Wait, don't close the door on them. Let them in. Is it not those who are shut out that have been the focus of Jesus' 
ministry. In the parable, notice that all of the bridesmaids fall asleep while waiting for the bridegroom. But the passage ends with Jesus saying, keep awake. They all fell asleep. But Jesus says, keep awake. This parable is simultaneously encouraging us to nurture a faith and spirituality that is so strong and hopeful now that it can endure for us through an uncertain future. And it is a dire warning about focusing on our own righteousness. We must always guard against the notion that we are earning for ourselves a reward from the God of grace. That somehow we, through our actions, are making the God of grace beholden to us. In reality, the wise bridesmaids in this parable hid their light under a bushel basket rather than letting it shine for their neighbors who were without oil. What did that mean? That meant that there were empty places at the banquet table. Empty places at the banquet table. That is not our vision of the kingdom of heaven. There are no empty places at the banquet table in the kingdom of heaven. No one is shut out who seeks to enter. Keep awake, therefore. Let your light shine so that no one will be left behind.